Hello and welcome back to Power Sessions with Natasha, where we find our power, confidence and have real conversations. Today I wanted to talk about the diaspora, particularly the child who grows up with a parent who lives in the diaspora. I feel like people that have moved to the diaspora, um, the societies that they live in do not always appreciate their story, do not always appreciate their plight. Um, I live in the UK where you get people who go, you know, oh, you, you, you came here, you, you're taking our jobs. And half of these people who say these things of, oh, you came here to take my our jobs and my job are not even working. You know, I, I feel sometimes uh, when people emigrate to, to different countries, people don't see these people as, as humans who have children, partners you know, um, husbands, wives, these are people who've made huge, huge sacrifices to cross borders and try and work for their families um, for different reasons. I moved from Zimbabwe when I was 14. It was not, not easy at all. I mean, I just literally sigh when I think back to those days. I didn't want to leave Zimbabwe. I didn't want to leave Zimbabwe so bad that for me, just to take the journey to the airport, you know, I was told we were going on a road trip. I ended up at the airport where I completely lost it. I protested so badly. My, I remember my uncle, my dad's brother begged me to get on this direct flight to the UK. I cried and cried. I was like, what about my friends, my life, my grandparents who I was living with at the time? You know, what about school? What about my home? Zimbabwe is my home. I was petrified, you know, I was just thinking like, what have they got me doing? I gave in, I got onto the flights and I actually sat next to the sweetest little boy. He was, a, he was about, I think 11 or 12 years old. He spoke great Shana, um, which is the language that I speak. Um, there are many other languages in Zimbabwe. I remember this boy telling me about his life and how his family lived in the UK, but he only came for holidays, but he actually lived in Zimbabwe, you know. So uh, we then arrived Gatwick Airport, you know, landed in the UK. A whole saga happened with a little toddler, which we'll get into on another day. But I saw my dad and I mean, just as I saw my dad, I just thought, what the hell were you refusing to come here for? You know, I cried. I was so happy. He could have stopped hugging me. He was crying too. You know, I just really loved seeing my dad. I remember he took me to McDonald's. I ordered some food, didn't like it at much at all, never have. Um, we drove, we then drove all the way to sunny Essex, you know, South End on Sea Essex, which is where I grew up. My mom and my brothers were at home waiting for me. We hadn't been under this, the same roof as a family for about a year, if, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I was just so happy to see my mom and my brothers, you know, we, we, we had a really good catch up. My mum showed me to my bedroom. It was much smaller than the one I had back home, but I loved it, you know. It was cosy. I was home with my family. So life started in the UK, but I wasn't happy. I missed home. I missed the sun. I missed the taste of our food. I missed everything, you know. I went to school. I hated it at first, but I got used to it. It took a few fights, but I got used to it. However, my story isn't the way that everybody else's story goes at all. You know, um, this is a very sensitive topic um, that I want to discuss. And I want to discuss the topic of the diaspora family. This is a global thing that is happening. 
but I don't really see it being discussed in the black community as much, you know. Um, I just want to say that I'm not saying all these things or what's going to come out of this episode to bash people and say, you know, oh, they're really bad parents or anything like that. Um, No, some of the things that we are going to discuss, I have gone through those things. You know, I have experienced those things. We just need to have the conversations. I just think we all need to have the conversations and let us as a community know that this is happening. It happens. The things we're going to discuss are not going to be easy. But these things do happen. You know, um, it's not all roses at all. It is a very difficult phase. It's a very difficult thing to decide to do. You know, we've all heard the stories of how sometimes, you know, for people that migrate, it doesn't end well for the married parties. But today I want us to talk about the diaspora child, the child left behind by the parents. We have to understand that the decision made by many parents to move abroad is a decision that can affect who their children become and who their families become. You know, there is a term that I came across when I was doing some research on this topic and um, those children who are left behind, um, some people call them the diaspora orphans. You know, in my opinion, I think there are two types of diaspora orphans. We have the ones that have access to abundant material possessions because of what their parents in the diaspora work for and send to them. And then we have the ones that do not enjoy financial benefits at all from parents abroad. Both of those children are equally vulnerable regardless of their economic status because they both still suffer from the same sense of of abandonment that money can never fully fulfill. The range range of ages of children uh, left behind range from about preschool and teenage years, you know, And I think there are many things involved in the topic of the children left behind, you know, in in terms of how they receive care from across borders from parents. You know, the parent is not physically there, but is somewhere else halfway across the world. And then we have the stereotypes linked to the children left behind, these society stereotypes, you know. Then we also have the practical, the practical and emotional problems they face. We also have to look at the substitute parents that they end up living with, you know. I believe that these children left behind deserve more attention from us, you know, as they have very difficult moral judgments that they have to navigate and they have the painful normality of long, long episodes of separation from their parents, you know. I would like to stress how I admire the strength, the resilience of many of these families through the strain of separation that migration causes, you know. These families live some or most of the time separated from each other, yet they they manage together and create something that can be seen as a feeling of just being a collective, a unit, unity, familyhood, even across international national borders you know if we look at it long distancing parenting has become increasingly normal and goes to show how much technology has an influence in our life you know the the latest new forms of communication are what most of these family rely on we have video calls voice notes whatsapp facetime 
you know, which is what we may end up calling mobile phone parenting. You know, many mothers and fathers use the phone to keep tabs on what their children have ate, have they done their homework and any disciplinary issues, you know, that's, that is if, if they care. I'm not saying every child that is left behind has a parent who's calling. I'm not saying that, you know, but many of these parents view this as, as mothering and fathering. They view it as empowering and it is evidence of the phone's ability to revolutionize their role as effective parents, you know, but universally, we all know that looking after your child or children involves a mix of financial, practical, personal, emotional, and moral support, you know, and the hardest thing to maintain for the diaspora is intimacy. That is the core of diaspora family life and the most challenging to maintain, you know, we, we have to go back and look at the means of communication. You know, we have to look at if the phone communication is enough or does it have its own limitations or its own effects, you know. I mean, what do you tell a five or six-year-old on the phone when you talk to them most days? And you, you know at that age, they always ask, Mommy, Daddy, when are you coming home? You know, young children at that age associate frequent contact with meaning that you are coming to visit them soon, you know, in, in their brains, most kids associate it with that, you know. So if we really look at it, sometimes phone communication can also build up expectations of visits, which may or may not be possible to meet, you know, if they're older and they know you are not coming home, you're not visiting, parents will then turn to sending gifts, sending gifts that you may or may not be able to afford, you know, the, the the children left behind that are left behind these these diaspora orphans may may reap the economic benefits of their parents you know how they work overseas in terms of their families overall resources access to health care access to education but it also shows that children left behind pay the emotional price of separation from parents over the long run particularly teenagers you know I was looking up some research and um, I came across a study, um, very interesting study. It was actually done in Zimbabwe. Um, it showed that young people left behind had high levels of depression and resentfulness um, towards parents who had left and that those with migrant parents who, who have left do worse academically than children living with both their parents, you know, they say that they have fewer educational aspirations and are most likely to drop out of school. It was very, very mind-blowing for me because it seems as if the children have what most would want materially, you know, in the, in the areas of the world that they live. But the sense of powerlessness and abandonment that these teenagers or children experience can result in them going down not an easy path in life, which defeats the whole idea of their parents moving abroad, you know, this depression, anxiety, loneliness, low self-esteem, you know, we're not just plucking these feelings out of the air, you know, we are not, these are real human beings. If you were separated from somebody for a very long time and they left you and kept telling you, oh, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, and then they never come back or they never bring you to where they are, somewhere, somehow along the lines, that person is going to feel like, Am I unwanted where this person is? 
Am I unwanted to the point where they don't even want to bring me to where they are? Am I unwanted to the point where that I am just meant to just be here alone? Because yes, you can leave children with grandparents, carers, all of that. But, you know, the fact that they're not with you, I do believe that, as the study says, will cause depression, anxiety, loneliness, low self-esteem, just not feeling worthy. Like, are they not worthy to be with their parents? Which then creates generations in crisis. You know, this identity crisis, this crisis that then happens. There are, of course, many, many reasons why parents leave their children behind when they migrate. You know, economic instability, political violence. A lot of countries go through this and it becomes to such a point that Many parents feel that they have no option but to seek better opportunities abroad for their families and particularly their children's well-being. Many, many migrant parents often lack the resources but also the legal rights to take their children with them. And this prolonged forced separation from children has been a major cause of distress for those that have had long periods in irregular immigration status or in dysfunctional asylum systems you know if we're really going to be truly honest we all know that the overwhelming majority of emigrating parents assumed that they were only going on a short stay abroad which in effect has also shaped their decisions about their children's care many many diaspora parents have made positive decisions you know, to leave their children behind as well. Because let's be clear, a lot of the countries that they move to are considered by them not only impractically expensive for raising a child, but also unsuitable for doing so. In places like, you know, the UK and other Western countries, cultures of parenting often do not match, you know, African values, Caribbean values, or wherever people are from. And ideas about parenting, you know, African cultures emphasize the importance of disciplining children, cultivating parental respect and for parental authority. So some families prefer to leave their children behind to complete their schooling in their home country. And for those of us that did make it over and live with our parents, it is not uncommon for parents to send children back home to be disciplined. <laughs> Let me tell you every person that's listening and has grown up in the diaspora and you are african caribbean or wherever you're from how many times did you get that one-way ticket threat <laughs> because i got those threats too my brothers got those threats we all did you know I know a few people who have actually been sent home as a way to enforce discipline. You know, they were acting up and, you know, I know the rude awakening they got when they got home, you know. So parents, parents normally do this to stop you going wild, like in quotation marks, you know. Um, I went to university with a girl whose parents were Nigerian and Ghanaian. And, and she once told us how she, she developed, I think, bulimia and her parents found out and they said to her, so you want to stop yourself, eh? So, you know, they booked her a one-way ticket to either Ghana or Nigeria, I can't remember. But she went and stayed in the village, like in the village village with her grandparents for about a year or two, you know. This was a girl born and raised in London, though, you know. 
it, it just goes to show diaspora parent is diaspora parent. Diaspora shapes us all different. To them, her parents, she had developed a very European issue, not a mental health issue. So their solution was to send her back to a place where discipline is authentic. It's African. So they revert, the parents revert back to what they know, what they understand, what makes sense to them. And it is the African way for them. So let's talk about single parents. One of the most compelling reasons for single mothers who migrate is to improve the welfare of their children. Many women are faced with you know, the hardship of insufficient financial support from the fathers of their children. You know, these women see the diaspora as the solution to their plight as well as that of their children. But care arrangements of children left behind can sometimes be really, really hard to arrange, especially if it's a single mother. But when parents, especially mothers, go to diaspora, their main goal is to elevate the standard of living of their families. However, in trying to do that, you know, th this study shows that they end up spoiling their children in, in not the most, the best ways. You know, I personally know some of the most hardworking mothers who barely spoil themselves, you know, but, you know, they send everything back home, you know, to, to their children and they barely spoil themselves. They send everything, every penny, you know. Which then brings us to the stereotypes of the children left behind. The difficult power struggle with families that they are living with due to absent authority figures. The distorting effects of money and the notion of superiority because of the diaspora wealth being sent to them. You know, in the study that I was telling you guys about, um, the... Most of the extended family members that the children were, were living with or who were responsible for the children, they painted generally a very negative picture of the children left behind, their behavior. They said most of them didn't complete their high school education, which was largely because they had a lot of freedom. They said the children think that they are independent, they use money, you know, they misuse money, you know, which again is the absence of close family who could have monitored behavior and tried to influence them in is you know is a key cause of the problem you know so guys money will never be a substitute for parents parents presence hence we end up seeing cases of outright abandonment and neglect and listen i am not coming for any parents or saying that this is a, a this is what is happening this is so bad no we are merely having a conversation these conversations need to happen it is not an easy task to be a diasporan family it is not it has completely destroyed some families you know a lot of families you know so that is why we're having this conversation the children that are left behind you know obviously face a lot of problems and an important part that is used to explain, you know, as an explanation for the problems of these children that are left by parents in the, you know, that go off to the diaspora, particularly the unruliness, is put down to the absent authority figures, particularly fathers, where children have been left with strangers or with extended families or siblings, often themselves still children, siblings who are expected to be in charge. 
one of one of the children that um the study that I came across um they interviewed you know was a a, a young boy who uh lived with extended families he you know echoed his sentiment he said that he missed his father's encouragement felt demoralized and had not put in as much effort or done as well as school as he would otherwise and he said that it was you know the key was to have somebody who can enforce discipline it was only his absent father who could play his role you know i will actually quote some of the things that this boy said he said i think my father's going away has greatly affected him you know because he said when dad went away at a time when my little brother really needed a father figure he started to experiment with drugs and other things i'm sure that none of it would have happened had dad been around um he said his brother lost interest in education and stopped going to school his mother cannot force him to do whatever he wants because he feels he has grown and can do as he pleases you know this is really sad you know another issue is the circulation of of money it undermines authority in families in various ways you know children left behind use this as a reason you know not to accept authority of foster parents who depend on money that is sent from their parents from the diaspora and because such dependent is made is made it is difficult for the aunties and uncles to exercise control out of fear of the children complaining or reporting them to their parents who may end up cutting the funds you know so the extended family sometimes that are looking after these children care more about the money than the children you know indiscipline is a common problem with children whose parents are in diaspora if the children some of the children know that their relatives taking taking care of them are living on the children's parents money they will do all sorts of things and misbehave believing that their relatives have no say over their lives since they also live off their parents money from the diaspora you know the relatives in turn will let them do as they please because they want to remain in favor with the children and their parents so that they can continue to receive money these relatives sometimes do not care about what happens to the children as long as they receive the money this is really going on guys this is really really going on it is it's it's not something that i'm making up and for those that are listening and have diaspora and family you know this is true you've heard of these stories you know let's move on and talk about the fathers who are left behind the fathers that are left behind when their wives move to the diaspora how that dynamic affects the children i wanted to give you real cases guys and this this study was great you know of um for me to have real cases for you to sort of hear and understand um as as we've gone through this episode we've seen that most of the time the emphasis is on absent patriarchal authority has been put forward as an explanation for children having problems which creates the debates you know in my mind of over like what about the men that are left behind who have to look after the children what happens to them you know um it, it's a difficult one you know some of the men in this study described feeling emasculated 
and 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 ashamed by taking on female roles and had to re- rely on their elders daughters you know one of the men that was interviewed um i don't want to mention their names his wife had joined her two sisters in the uk leaving him leaving him with their two children i think one was aged 8 and one was aged 3 he said i'm just quoting his words he said i take care of my children without any assistance i pay their school fees i feed them and i clothe them in all honesty, her leaving affected me, you know. He said that he particularly felt ashamed about having to deal with matters relating to his growing daughter's sexuality, such as, you know, such as things as their periods, you know, um, having to talk through them about sanitary uh, care, you know, the sanitary towels, sanitary, you know, you know, talking to them about how their bodies are changing and many other things, you know. I think in his case, uh, from what I read, he said his wife had left secretly without his blessing or farewell. And he, he has refused to talk to her since, you know, such that, you know, her contact with the children had been very minimal. You know, he felt that his wife's departure had made his daughters more responsible, particularly the eldest daughter. He even said that if you compare my children you know, with children in their own, with other children in their own age, in their own age groups, you will see that their behavior is totally different. He said, what hurts him is that they now know how to be responsible. He also went on to add that, you know, his daughter who's age 13 has taken up her mother's role and now helps him with housekeeping. You know, um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's very difficult, but it's something we need to talk about. You know, and and another thing that showed up was that frequently fathers that are left behind have had to call on, you know, female extended family members to care for children or help care for children. There was another gentleman who was um, interviewed who said that, you know, just after his wife left, he asked for his younger sister to come and stay with him. His wife had left to go to New Zealand. He said as the years dragged on with little contact from the absent mother, his brother's wife became the mother of the child. He went on to say that, you know, my child calls his auntie mum and takes her as his real mother. And my brother's wife also treats him like her own child, you know. He said, my, ch- my son barely notices the absence of his biological mother. The departure of his mother took place when he was still very young. You know, he came from a normal family, at least in his own eyes, you know. He has someone he calls mom and somebody he calls dad, even a sister, you know. He said even just like when they did the interviews at that time, they all lived in one house. And so that was a very normal setup, a family setup for that boy. But these these accounts, these stories that we're hearing, you know, for me personally, I think they have also begun to touch on the moral debates over the role of money within intimate relationships and how the control and distribution of money within families is the central problem, you know, and the negative stereotypes of diaspora and orphans, the children left behind, it's all to do with money. So let's look at money versus intimacy. You know, the material things and the money that these kids receive were, you know, or are some kind of, they are an inadequate compensatory love, you know, which does more harm than good. Money is clearly a means through which most parents in the diaspora are trying not to only to maintain intimacy, but also retain a level of control and influence over the lives of their children. 
particularly through the threat of withdrawing money, withdrawing the funds. If you don't do this, if you don't behave a certain way, I will stop sending money. You know, um, it's, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because some of the other children that they interviewed in this study said that, um, they said, I was able to show off possessions you know the things that the parents sent the iphones the trainers the clothes but one of the boys expressed he said that his emotional difficulties he experienced as a result of his parents absence you know his sense of powerless powerlessness as well as his own difficult behavior he described the difficulty of having no one to call mom and when there's visiting day, because a lot of the children that are left by parents are in boarding school, you know, um, and visiting day, he said, I would see other kids with their parents and I know no one will come to see me. You know, there was another, um, young, uh, boy that they interviewed, um, who said, even though he lived with extended family, he, realized that he had frustration and pains of not having someone cheering him on when he played his favorite sport he loves rugby you know he he was saying that when I play my sports I play rugby he said I would tell my aunt and she will promise to come out and see me but she hardly ever comes and when I look around I see other kids being cheered on by their parents and there is no one to cheer me on and it hurts you know so there, there is a lot of emotional, emotional things to consider when we are talking about the children that are left behind. You know, money, yes, is a huge part of life, but money clearly, clearly cannot win over intimacy. It cannot, you know. So lastly, let's talk about the parents who leave and forget their children or for some reason simply neglect the responsibilities they had back home. This normally happens with men, men who forget their responsibility once they arrive in the diaspora, which is, you know, typically, it typically happens, you know, um, there was a case that they came across in this study where a man left and, you know, 10 years down the line, never had any communication with anybody at home. Nobody knew whether he was dead or alive, you know. These men then go on and have fully fledged wives and kids in the UK or wherever they've emigrated. And the new wife in the UK is totally unaware that there is a whole complete family he has back home. Ladies, ladies listening, be very careful. Do not let this be you. Do your research on these men. Do your research. You know, um, they, they interviewed some people and, um, there was a lady particularly was very interesting. She said that she, she had a whole group of brothers. Her brothers had left the country in search of jobs because they couldn't get any jobs. But once they got to where they settled, they forgot about their wives, about the situation they left back home. They would come maybe for, you know, after six months or so. And while they were there, they didn't send anything. When the wives wanted to go and join them, they wouldn't let them, you know, you know, she said that when the wives made phone calls to the husbands to ask what was going on, it was like starting a war. We've all heard of these stories, you know. And she also said that when they did send something, it would be things such as sweets 
and other goodies for the kids. Nothing that can sustain a family. You know, um, it's really amazing. She, she, I think this lady ended up taking up, uh, taking one of her nephews into care because, um, you know, the mothers just couldn't cope. And she, she talked about how he was particularly affected by the absence of the father and everything that was going on. You know, children are very aware. We might think children are not aware of what's going on. Children are very highly aware. And she said that, you know, her nephew was constantly being expelled from school for failing to pay school fees, you know. She said her brother um, was very negligent, you know. She said that um, the boy's school fees was being paid by social welfare, from the time that he had started school, she was the one paying and buying uniforms, stationery. And then she ended up, you know, struggling to raise money enough to look after him. And um, she said that she ended up going to the school, explained the situation to the teacher. Imagine the shame of this child, you know. Yes, they are seven. Imagine the shame of your auntie having to go and say, listen, he has a father who's abroad, who's somewhere. But this man does not care enough to send money to his own children. The embarrassment. Just even just the the knowledge that other people will need to know this about your family, you know. And she said this is, it actually helped her because this is how he was under put social welfare, you know, but however, social welfare was only paying for the child's tuition. You know, it didn't care, take care of the child's needs, you know, or anything like that. And she genuinely believed that his poor performance resulted from the neglect, the neglect of the father, just completely forgetting about the children who live, you know, back home where they left them. You know, we, we, one of the most touching encounters that I read was of a, of a grandmother, you know, who she says her children have gone abroad and she lives with these grandchildren. And she said that her children either send little to nothing, um, to help her. These children are just living with her. There's not much food. There's not much money being sent because these people have just moved and gone. Well, the kids are taken care of. We don't need to do anything. I'm just forgotten their responsibilities. And she said that she was incapable of caring of the children properly through ill health and lack of resources. You know, she said she's, she, you know, she gets up to prepare meals for her grandchildren. She has difficulty walking. She said, I have to lean against the wall for support she said my granddaughter doesn't even understand why I do that to the point where she even copies me you know when she when I drag my myself around you know she said right now she was trying to find somebody to help her with the granddaughter's care the grandchildren but she was frightened because she didn't know if their parents would send any money for the wages of this person since they don't even get enough money for food you know, and she was talking about how um, one of the little kids still wears nappies. You know, she was wear she was using washable nappies in the beginning, but then she said, "I'm too old." She was in so much pain from washing the nappies. She started. She had to go for dis disposable ones. You know, this is really sad, guys. These are real encounters. You know, um, and this is really happening. You know, we we then move on to teachers. You know, teachers are part of people that care for children as their parents are abroad some teachers felt that um, material and emotional care was particularly inadequate where you know more distant relatives were involved as substitute parents you know they said that children left with relatives who were quite distant did not feel as secure 
as they would feel with their parents. You know, they found that they were easily agitated, withdrawn. They had, they had, you know, no longer had a sense of security that could have been guaranteed in a normal family setup. You know, it's like if they want to, if they want something, you know, normally in these situations, if you want something, they have to go through an uncle or an aunt or some other relatives. It's not easy, you know. These kids do not get it easy. Imagine a child taking a report home at the end of the term, having worked so hard to get good results, but it's not acknowledged. That surely kills the spirit of a child. And then do you expect them that in the next term or the next term to really bother? It's very demoralizing, you know. Children are motivated by good remarks, especially young children, you know. But, um... Once they realize that the only thing that these relatives care about is the money coming from the diaspora and them and not them, they then think that they have nothing hard to work for. You know, no relative can ever replace a parent, no matter how much they try to meet the needs of the child. The values that used to hold together extended families are still there, but not as strong. Society has changed you know a relative would like to you know take care of another person's child but they would not take that take care of that child as their own let's just be clear you know children children get their best care from their parent you know so i think that the the emergence of the diaspora i believe provides a very revealing lens not only for you know for us to examine the difficulties of managing care for children with within diaspora families but also the broader debates about immigration cultures of parenting patriarchal authority gender roles extended families the emotional difficulties of children left behind you know um the role of money in intimate relationships and the crisis within families produced by expectations of wealth through the migration to the West. You know, I really wanted to talk about um, children that then come to the diaspora and join their parents um, in this episode, but I think I'll leave that for a part two. I I hope that... Um, this is this comes out as a positive recording um i wanted it to be a positive recording i'm merely highlighting and having a very good conversation of the truth of what happens to families that emigrate families that separate the sacrifices that are made the difficulties that they go through because people think it is so hunky-dory. Somebody just gets on a plane, leaves their children and goes somewhere that they have never been to. And somehow, you know, we have to juggle all these things. The family, the, the parent who's abroad has to stay sane. The child who's left behind has to stay sane. It doesn't work like that, guys. As you can all see, it does not work that way at all. There are so many pressures, so many things that especially the child goes through you know in part two we are going to talk about um the child that then joins the family after long periods of separation or any period of separation and i will be sharing with you some of the things that i went through when i was looked after by 
you know, extended family. It was not easy. It was not easy by any means. Trust me. But thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, And I will see you next time on the next episode. And thank you for listening. Take care.